everybody. Welcome. Welcome to everyone and thank you for joining us for this extremely popular special event from Parents at Work. Today's topic is Techno Kids Parenting in a Digital World. So whether we like it or not, this is the reality that we are faced with as parents and carers in 2017. But just before we jump in and start talking with the expert, let me introduce myself. My name is Sally Maguire. I'm a journalist by trade and I'm also a mother of two boys and I'll be facilitating this Parents at Work webinar. At Parents at Work, we are on a mission to improve the lives of all Australian working parents. And webinars like this are just one of the many ways that we do that, going out to the corners of the globe to bring you the latest, most relevant information that you can use in your life as a working parent. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit about our guest this morning. Dr. Christy Goodwin is a highly sought after expert on the impact of technology on young children's health, learning and development. And she's also a mum. And she is the author of Raising Your Child in a Digital World. Christy is passionate about sharing the latest research and insights into how digitised childhoods are changing the ways that young children learn, play and develop. Develop. Dr. Goodwin, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Sally. Great to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, I have a lot of questions and I'm sure that um, our participants out there do as well. And I just want to remind everyone that you're all on mute today just so we can get the clearest sound quality. But if you do have a question or something, a comment that you would like to share at any stage during our one hour webinar today, type it into the question box that you can see. and. Kirsty and I, Christy and I will attempt to pick up all of the questions, answer all of the questions or just respond to you so you know that um, you'll get some information that you can use after today. Alright, so we've got a lot to cover in our hour today. We're going to go through things like the latest research that's out there about technology and children, some tips for parents and carers and all the way to some of the basics around cyber safety which is really a hot topic at the moment. So, Christy, as I mentioned, you are up with all the latest research. The so-called touch screen, screen generation, not, it's not a new concept, but it's not that old either. So tell us, what is the latest research around children and technology telling us today? That's right. I am a, um, a researcher and I'm also a mum of two, um, I call them sometimes occasional screen agers. Um, and so what I do is take the research and science um, and to be perfectly honest, it embarrasses me to say this, but as a researcher in this field, we're still in at the stage of infancy. You know, we really, the iPad's only just turned six, so I'm often asked what's the long-term impact of the iPad and it pains me to say that in some regards we're conducting a bit of a, a living experiment. We don't yet know what the long-term impact is, especially with young children. Um, we've certainly got a fairly robust um, body of research when it comes to older children and other technologies, so computers and laptops and video games and television, um, but we are really in the very early stages of what we know about young children and touchscreen devices. If I was to take a sort of a, a big picture look at what the research tells us is that um, yes, we need to be very aware of how much time kids are spending with screens, so looking at screen time limits and, and the, the sheer, you know, number of hours that kids are spending with a screen. 
Um, but more importantly, we also need to look at what kids are doing with the screen. The research conclusively tells us that it's the content. Content really is king. Um, you know, is it leisure? Is it learning? Is it active or is it passive? So what a child is doing with a screen um, is often so much more important than just the amount of time they've spent with a, a screen. We also know from the research um, that when a child uses a screen is really important. For example, we know um, that screen use before school and before sleep um, can have a, a really adverse impact on children. We also need to be, so we, we've talked about how much, um, when kids are using screens, what they're doing. Also where, where are, are children accessing screens? You know, children aren't going to be sexting when they're standing at the kitchen bench top with mum or dad. Um, but you know, where are the, the tech-free zones in, in, in schools and, and houses um, where children can access technology? And also with whom? Who are kids using technology with? Um, really, really important. We know, for example, in the very early years that they, we've got a really consistent body of research that tells us that if children use technology with mum or dad or with a caregiver um, or even with a sibling, that it can be really beneficial. So. In a broad scheme, we've got, and of course the research varies depending on what sort of technology we're looking at, um, but broadly speaking, how much time a child spends with a screen is definitely an important consideration, but it's not the most important consideration. And I think for many parents, and obviously educators as well, we've become fixated on quantifying you know, how much time kids are spending with screens, and we see so many studies that look to, to measure this. And whilst it is definitely an important consideration, I think we've also got to look beyond that and look at what, you know, what are they doing with the screen, when are they using it, where are they using it, um, with whom are they using it, and the fifth one that I forgot to mention just then is how. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more research coming out um, talking about the health, the physical health implications of kids using screens for um, in earlier, earlier from earlier years and for increasing amounts of time. So, for example. We're seeing increasing rates of myopia in young children. Um, we're even seeing it in primary school children um, as well as secondary children, which is nearsightedness. Um, and we thought this was because of you know, the, the time spent with backlit devices, um, but some new research is coming out and it's actually said that it's what we call the displacement effect that might be responsible. So the fact that kids are spending more and more time with screens means there's an opportunity cost, so they're not spending time outdoors in nature. Um, what I call green time. So it's really interesting that now we're perhaps seeing um, some really obvious signs of how screens, if they're not being used appropriately or at the right ages and stages, could have physical health implications. Amazing, amazing. It is so worth just reiterating that point that, as he said, I didn't realise the iPad has just turned six. So, yeah. you know, like anything that is a recent, you know, invention, we really don't know what the long-term impact is going to be, but I guess the question is, can we afford to all take that risk as parents and just sit there and let, you know, let screens just take take over our children's lives and wait and see whether the effect is negative or perhaps, you know, do we really probably need to be proactive about mm. and what you're saying and make sure that we're putting some some of these things into place? And I think then that, that you know leads to my next question, which is where, as a parent, where do we start with all of this? We, you have children, where how, no matter how old they are, screens are and technology are a fact of life. So where do you start when it comes to what, what, what's appropriate in terms of devices, in terms of the limits of time, in terms of 
how, how as parents can we navigate this? Sure. So I might just break it down because I'm aware there'll be parents with different age children. So I'll start at the very beginning and say for basically for not to two-year-olds, even not to three-year-olds, the research tells us that there's no real benefit of prematurely dunking kids in the digital stream too early. Um, a lot of marketing hype and a lot of products out there tell you, you know, we've got a, a baby bouncer now that has an iPad contraption dangling over the baby's face. And so you can pop the baby in the bouncer and they can have the iPad dangling over their face. Um, you know, we've got a whole lot, you know, there's a plethora of, of digital toys that are marketed as being edutainment, you know, kiddie laptops and apps that are said to teach preschoolers their letter names and shapes. So um, what we actually know from the research, however, is that these types of, of um, screen use in the early years, so naught to three years, aren't necessarily beneficial. Despite what the marketing claims suggest, you're not going to prepare your child for Harvard by giving them one of these digital devices. So in the early years, and our Australian guidelines when it comes to screen time actually say to avoid screen time for naught to two-year-olds. Um, they actually say no screen time whatsoever. I'm a mum um, and I'm very aware of the demands of being a modern, modern parent and I know that that's often an unrealistic guideline. So what I say is to be very cautious, don't be in a rush, you know, to hand over your tablet or your smartphone to your child, um, that you're not necessarily setting them up. The whole Baby Einstein DVD industry um, was found to be false and misleading and in fact Disney who created that were, were fined over $26 million for false and misleading advertising claims because it suggested that, you know, that you would boost your baby's IQ and their brain development and their language skills by showing them these DVDs when that's not actually the case. So in the, in the naught to three years, I would say use technology very sparingly. I think no more than sort of 15 minutes a day, in the, especially in that naught to two years. And what we know from the research is that where possible, and I'm a mum and I know this isn't always possible, but where possible to what we do called co-viewing, so using technology with your child. So for example, um, you know, it mightn't be possible to sit down and, and watch play school with your child when you might be preparing dinner, but asking them questions. Um, getting them to attach meaning, and this goes for all ages, but it's so important in the, the first two years in particular because we know that the brain cannot make meaning, it cannot understand what it sees on a 2D screen and connect it to the 3D world until they're somewhere between sort of 18 to 24 months. Um, so really important, if you are going to use it, try and use technology with them. You know, showing your child photographs of at something that you've done throughout the day or a video of something that you've done can be a great way. Um, you know, watching slow paced, really important if you're looking for television programs for little ones, making sure it's slow paced and very predictable. For two to five year olds, um, our government guidelines say that we should have no more than one hour a day. Um, of total screen time. So that is at preschool, daycare, at home, you know, all screens, um, it classes them as equal. Um, I don't necessarily recommend that we have to follow that very rigid amount of time. Um, but I think in that two to five year old age range, you know, tablet devices can be a great tool. Um, again, if we're finding it's, it's what the child's doing with that tool that's really important. So again, are they accessing um, educational content? Um, we know, for example, that the design of an app um, or a television show should be very, very simple. If there's too many bells and whistles and extraneous information, we know that it really distracts our preschoolers. Um, so looking for very simple designs, very slow-paced, um, predictable activities, activities where there's lots of language. We know that the brain um, 
really requires lots and lots of language rich experiences in those early years. Um, so providing opportunities where kids can play apps and use apps where they might, for example, record their voice. Um, I can send through a list of apps perhaps after this that, that recommends some different apps at different age ranges. Then for our 5 to 12 year olds, our primary school students, um, we do have government guidelines and <laughs> this may come as a shock to many parents, but our government guidelines for 5 to 12 year olds say no more than two hours a day of total screen time. So that is at school and at home. Um, and we know from the research, ironically, that many children accumulate that amount of screen time in the classroom before morning tea time. So these guidelines are often considered unrealistic. Um, a lot of parents actually don't know and educators, surprisingly, don't even know these guidelines exist. Um, but the, the, these guidelines um, suggest that two-hour limit. Again, I, I don't think we need to obsess over how much. It's definitely important and I'm not suggesting we give our kids open reign. But I think, as I mentioned at the start, focusing on what they're doing. So for five to 12 year olds, there are a wealth of educational games um, and apps and websites out there that help make learning a lot more enjoyable. And for our really abstract concept areas like maths and science, there are brilliant apps that make you know rote learning and, and understanding really abstract concepts a lot easier um, and clearer to understand. So it's about finding um, educational apps and one of the best tools that, that parents need to install and it doesn't matter if you're an, an Apple user or an Android user or a Mac or a PC person, there is a brilliant site um, called Common Sense Media and it, again I'll give you the link to that, this is a tool that every parent needs to install on their device because it lets you, ironically it is an app, they also do have a website, but the app helps you find apps um, so you can go in and say, look, I'm looking for an app for a, for a seven-year-old who needs to um, needs a bit of help consolidating their understanding of times tables. What are the best apps to teach times tables? And you get quality reviews of apps because if you were to go to the App Store or the Google Play Store, you would literally be sifting through tens and tens, if sometimes hundreds of thousands of apps to look for what you're after. So this Common Sense Media Review app um, reviews not only apps, but it also um, provides movie reviews, it provides television reviews, and it also provides video game reviews. So when your seven-year-old son is in the game store and he's telling you that Grand Theft Auto is completely fine for seven-year-old boys, you pull up this app and you say, uh-uh. So it is a really important app for finding age-appropriate content. Then if we were to shift to the sort of 12 years plus, it, you know, <laughs> there is just a huge and inordinate um, amount of technology available to them. Um, and I guess the biggest issue in that age range is the use of social media and using online tools to communicate. So, um, yeah, we do have government guidelines and recommendations when it comes to how much. Um, as I say, it's really hard to, to specify, but where possible, we, we need to, to find apps that promote what kids need for optimal learning. So they need language-rich experiences, they need play experiences, and they need lots and lots of interaction for it to be considered a, a learning app. Absolutely. I'm, I've, I'm aware of Common Sense Media myself, and somebody's just asked that question. Common Sense Media, I'm pretty sure it's an Australian um, as well, so that's there, there cool. is an, another one in Australia. We've got the um, Australian Council on Children in the Media, and they have a brilliant app um, or a, a website called Know Before You Load, which provides movie review. Uh, sorry, app reviews, and Know Before You Go, which provides movie reviews. 
great. Um, that that sort of stuff is so useful. And look, I know it's so hard to say. I'm glad you know we do. The government has put out some guidelines, but you know, um, and you just covered that. How much screen time is okay? I just think my own personal experience is, you know, when you get when you condition your children to it, it just becomes that much harder to pull it back. So I think once you go to that place and you make that a thing that yes, it's okay to watch an entire movie after school or whatever it is, it's really hard to claw that back. So that was has been my experience to sort of I've been winding out the thread very slowly. My boys are five and seven years old because I'm conscious that once I say, yes, you know, you can play a game on my phone, then it's going to be really hard to, to ever say no that you can't do that. So, I, and I navigated that by just not having any games on my phone. So, they know that other mums have games on their phone, but I don't because I must be really boring, I guess. But anyway, it's just one of those things. I just think once you go there, you know, it, it's hard to explain to them then when you change your mind or decide that no, that's not going to happen. So... Um, yeah, so that was really interesting to hear that there, there are some actual guidelines around that, but obviously every child in every family is different as well. And mm -hmm. I suppose we've got something on the screen now that might relate to younger children, but what is this concept of a, a techno tantrum? How does it tie into technology and screen time yes. and, and what age? Okay, so it's interesting you say that it's probably for younger children because I was on a plane a couple of weeks ago where I saw the adult passenger next to me throw a techno tantrum um, when she was asked to turn her smartphone off so we could leave the runway. Um, so techno tantrums, unlike regular tantrums where they usually sort of outgrow them at this age three mark, techno tantrums tend to persist. Um, I've seen upper primary school students, even secondary students, throwing techno tantrums when they're asked to turn off the, the, the technology that they're using. Um, I know many young parents, parents of young children, sorry, often experience them when they ask for their iPhone back um, from their child or for the television to be switched off. And it's really interesting because we know there's actually a neurobiological reason. You know, when your child throws the techno tantrum, it's not just to infuriate you or to test your parenting repertoire or, or your resilience. Um, your child's brain and body is actually having a neurobiological response. And it's really interesting because when I share this in parent seminars, I often explain this is also, um, I'll explain there's five main reasons, but this is also why us as adults find it so hard to switch off our digital devices. We've probably got the self-regulation skills so that most of us aren't throwing techno tantrums. But we also, many of us, feel so tethered to our smartphones. You know, we're checking Facebook one last time before we go to sleep or we're on holidays and we're sneaking off into the bathroom to check our email. Um, so our kids have techno tantrums for five main reasons. Number one is that when they use technology, it's usually a positive experience. So their brain is often releasing the neurotransmitter dopamine. So they want more and more of it. So, you know, they're watching funny videos or they're playing a game and they're getting rewarded or they get to the next level. So their brain secretes this neurotransmitter dopamine. So when you tell them that you'd like your smartphone back, you can see they're literally, in some instances, having this withdrawal of dopamine. So reason number one is that it's pleasurable. So they're getting that dopamine. Reason number two is that their brain is, our human brain is wired for novelty. So we're always on the lookout for new and interesting things. And Unlike the real world, which is often boring um, and isn't always new and interesting and, and exciting, the online world 
there is always novel information. There's, you know, that app doesn't interest me, I'll touch the home button and find something else. That video clip is boring, you know, in YouTube, there's 15 others down the side that might appeal to me. So our, um, our desire for novelty is catered for so beautifully in the online world. So to take kids off the on, out of the online world and into real life, you're often going to get that, that techno tantrum because it's not always new and interesting and exciting. So that was the, the second reason that we, we crave novelty. The third reason is that we often enter something called the state of flow. And as adults, you know, often at work, you know, this is when you become so engrossed with what you're doing that you lose track of time. And the same thing often happens to children. Um, you know, children can be so immersed in playing a video game or so immersed in the movie that they're watching um, or for, for parents that are battling minefield, uh, minefield Minecraft, um, children, you know, become literally fixated on what they're doing. So their concept of time disappears when they're in this state of flow. And gaming designers work very hard to make sure that they're designing games and apps and websites that really get us into the, our kids into that state of flow. So, so far we've talked about dopamine, novelty, the state of flow. Um, the fourth reason, and I find this as an adult personally, the, the one I struggle with the most, is that when we're in the online world, we enter something called the state of insufficiency. Basically, we never ever feel done. We never ever feel complete. So for our kids, you know, they don't feel like they're finished because now we've got television programs that are streamed 24-7 a day, you know, 24-7 um, on, 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 on mass. So our kids can literally never feel like they're done. Um, kids that are playing video games like Minecraft, that literally the game that never ever ends. Um, you know, kids are, are playing sometimes using social media and there's always a refresh of the button. So unlike a jigsaw puzzle or a Lego set or reading a real book where there is a very finite finish point, the online world doesn't have that finish point, if that makes sense. So we share those four reasons with, with kids. They're the four reasons that we find it hard to switch off technology. They're also why we get the techno tantrum with our kids. The fifth one, adults tend not to share with kids, but we're definitely seeing it in young children. And that is that when they're you know, using technology, their nervous system often gets overloaded. So they enter this hyper aroused state. And this is why you often get the techno tantrum when you ask them to turn off the TV or shut the laptop lid. Basically, their nervous system has been overstimulated and, and hyper aroused. So they're the main reasons and it's normal. You know, a lot of parents think their kids, you know, might be addicted or have some issues using technology if they're having the techno tantrum. I actually say see their techno tantrum as a sign that they're, you know, they're responding what we call in a typical way to screens. Absolutely. So apart from you know, literally not having the screen time or the te the particular technology. What are some some other strategies for maybe yeah. preventing or dealing with these so-called techno tantrums? Yes, yeah, so I'm ironically often asked, is there an app to prevent the techno tantrum? And no, there's <laughs> not. Um, but as a mum, I will tell you some of the strategies that I've implemented that have been successful and what I often recommend to parents. So, first and foremost, is if your child is under six years of age and perhaps even slightly older, if your child does not understand the very abstract concept of time, giving them time limits is absolutely meaningless. So to say to a typical three-year-old you've got an hour on the iPad or an hour watching TV is meaningless unless they actually understand that concept of time. Um, so what I recommend if children are too young or just haven't conceptually mastered that yet 
is rather than giving them an amount of time, give them quantities of what they can watch or play or create. So you can watch one episode of Play School today and then I want you to turn it off. You can craft three things in Minecraft today and then I want you to switch it off. You can get to level six in the game and then I want you to switch it off. Um, it's a really small, like minor tweak, but it is much more meaningful to kids. Um, another strategy to prevent the techno tantrum, because they get in that state of flow that I mentioned earlier, often they literally lose track of time. So what we need to do is to give them some what we call psychological priming. So before we're going to turn off and what they would consider digitally amputate them, um, it's really important that we tell them, you know, it's almost time that we, we you're going to turn the television off. Um, again, making sure you get eye contact because often they are so engrossed with what you're doing, you can give them these instructions and because they're so engrossed, they just give you the generic, yeah, mum, and they haven't actually heard what you've said. Um, if your child does understand time, um, and a lot of children six and above, um, even some younger children do understand it, make sure you give them a specific amount of time before the device goes on. So it's too hard to negotiate once they're you know, enthralled with what they're doing online, so giving them the screen time limit beforehand. Even a, another slight tweak that makes a big difference, rather than giving them a volume of time, so rather than saying you can have half an hour or you can have an hour, what we found works much better is giving them the cutoff time. So let's say you want them to have an hour, they start at 3.30, rather than saying you've got an hour, you say to them you need to turn that off at 4.30. Um, you know, using a timer, a lot of parents are un unaware that just the generic clock timer that comes with your smartphone or tablet, under the timer option you can set an amount of time and under all the sound effects that you can use is usually hidden at the very, very bottom the option that says stop playing. So you can literally set an amount of time and then set the timer and then it, it will literally lock the device after that set time. Um, using a, a microwave timer or an oven timer is also something that works well. Another important strategy um, is to have an appealing transition activity. So remember your child's getting lots of dopamine when they're online. Um, to say to them, and apologies if there's any teachers listening in, but to say to your child, turn off the, the television and go and do your maths homework is not usually a very appealing transition activity. So we want to give kids something, a choice, I don't think they need any more than sort of two options, but two screen-free options to basically entice them to come off the screen and go and do something else. Um, the last strategy, the second last strategy that I often recommend is to actually give kids um, a, a sense of like a locus of control. So rather than you like wrestling the remote control out of their hand or turning the iPad off, Feeling, in, in allowing your child to feel like they have had some control, so getting them to switch the device off. Again, it seems like a very superficial um, strategy, but it helps to empower kids to feel like they're in control of the situation. And the last strategy, and I know as a mum this is the one I find the hardest, but it's being consistent, you know, understanding that your boundaries and your parameters, whatever sort of media rules you have that you're, you're consistent with those over time makes it a lot easier and hopefully means that you won't be having, you know, an 18-year-old son or daughter still throwing techno tantrums, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. We've really struck a chord there. We've got a few people um, typing in some, some comments and some questions that it, it really is, it, it's so interesting. People are seeing what you're describing, the techno tantrums, as exactly what's happening with their children so hopefully those tips are really useful and I just want to pick up on what you said about that children 
having a neurobiological response. So, you know, when I hear parents having discussions about, you know, little Johnny won't turn off the screen or won't give it back and, and testing boundaries and things like that, I think what you've just said about those five reasons is that they that they're not maybe, you know, they're not doing that. They're just they're having a response and they're, uh, they're unable, like we as adults can do, to self-regulate. They haven't got that skill yet. Their, their brains aren't big enough and not well enough developed. So, you know, they're just having this, this response that they can't necessarily control, something that they're really enjoying and that's making them yeah. so happy. You want to end it. So, you know, it's really hard for them to come to grips with that. So, yeah, I think obviously a lot of people out there are experiencing exactly that. Hmm. Not alone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And there was one um, question from someone about the electromagnetic energy that's emitted by devices. So I'm not sure if that um, yeah. you know no, I can. ties into negative impacts, which is what we were going to talk about next, of, of yeah. what, what these screens and technology. So please tell Perfect. us. All right, let me touch on that because I know this is a, a very common question that I'm asked by many parents and educators as well. So um, basically we know there are possible, and I really want to stress that word, there are possible health risks associated with electromagnetic radiation. And that is what you know pumps out of our Wi-Fi routers, out of our smartphones, um, out of our baby monitors and cordless telephones. So in Australia we have a federal body that's responsible for disseminating the research in this field called a PANZA. Um, we also have some research from the World Health Organization who in 2013 classed electromagnetic radiation as a type 2P, type 2B possible carcinogen. So we, I'm the first to admit we also have a lot of scientific uncertainty in this area. Um, I have read a lot of the research. Um, I went to an electromagnetic radiation conference. And I left that conference, and I will admit, I used to think people that worried about this were crazy scientists. Um, however, having left that conference, I've now become, my husband describes me as a Wi-Fi warrior and a Wi-Fi warrior. Um, basically, we don't yet have a clear picture. You know, like the iPad, this is a relatively new technology, so we don't yet have conclusive scientific evidence about the impact of things like electromagnetic radiation on kids and, and humans in general. We do have a lot of research evidence on rodents, but it's obviously quite difficult to then extrapolate that directly to humans. So what I do and what I recommend, having looked at the research um, and also in line with what the American Academy of Pediatrics um, released, they released a policy document last year, and that is that with children we need to err on the side of caution. So um, I'm cautious, Christy, I go back to what does the research tell us? It tells us that we know that kids' brains, their skull is a lot thinner than adults. We also know they have a lot more water in their brain than what adults do, meaning that if, and I really stress that word, if there are possible environmental risks associated with electromagnetic radiation, um, that our kids may be more susceptible. So this doesn't mean, you know, cutting off Wi-Fi and moving to the country. What does it mean in a real practical level? It means simple things like no apps in laps. In our house, we have a very strong rule. iPads, tablets and smartphones, if they're used, are used away from the physical body because when we all read our handbook that comes with our phone or our tablet, we read on, you know, about page 280 that it tells us that safe distance is usually about 48 centimetres away from our body, which many of us don't do. 
It also means turning the, your device to airplane mode when it's not being, you know, when Wi-Fi is not required. It means turning routers out off at night. Now I know you'll probably still get your neighbour's Wi-Fi um, signal, but it's obviously not as in close proximity to, to what your um, router is. It means simple things like keeping routers out of high traffic areas in the home or in classrooms or, or schools. Um, it means not using your phone. Um, I, I worked with Dr. Charlie Teo's daughters when I was a teacher and I can assure you they certainly weren't using their mobile phones. Um, they wouldn't use if they were to ever use them. They were on speaker. Um, it means things like um, not using your phone in really restricted areas. So, you know, when you go into an elevator um, or you go into a garage underground, um, not trying to use devices there. So it's about minimising exposure. I hope this is just me being cautious, Christy, um, but there are, that, that's definitely one of the possible risks associated with it, um, with technology and, and electromagnetic radiation in particular. Um, in terms of some of the other risks, um, and again, it, it depends really on what the child's doing with the technology, but I think the biggest risk today and particularly for our young children and our adolescents is the displacement effect. It's the opportunity cost. What are kids missing out on if they are spending so much time with screens? You know, are they sleeping? We know not only is it a risk for adolescents but now for primary school students. Children's screen habits are literally displacing the amount of time they have for sleep. Kids are being um, woken up their sleep cycles are being um, disrupted because of alerts and notifications. They're waking up at earlier and earlier times to get their dose of digital each day. Um, we know kids are being less active, physically active. We're seeing, you know, a huge increase in sedentary behaviour. Um, we're seeing a decline in, in social skills and language skills in kids. Um, also a decline in, in physical skills. Um, interestingly, last year's kindergarten, you know, I am. Um, cohort that entered kindergarten throughout Australia was the first what we're calling iPad kindergarten. So these are the kids who have literally grown up since the iPad came out. And it was really interesting because throughout the country I spoke to, to teachers and to psychologists and to health professionals and they all anecdotally reported seeing a huge decline in kids' language skills, their fine motor skills, their social skills and their attention skills. So it's not to say it's necessarily the iPad, but I think it's sort of an interesting correlation. So one of the big impacts is what screens displace or what they push out. Um, other negative impacts are obviously kids accessing inappropriate content, so pornography. Um, I was listening um, yesterday to the eSafety Commissioner who sadly told us that the average age that Australian boys now see pornography is 11 years of age. Um, and sadly our kids cannot unsee pornography. So obviously accessing not just pornography but scary age inappropriate content. We are also some of the other negative effects are physical health risks. So I touched on one of them before which is myopia. Um, we're also seeing a huge potential risk with kids hearing. Um, most kids pop headphones in, the earbud headphones, and they can reach about 130 decibels yet safe levels for kids are somewhere between 65 and 75 decibels. Um, we're also concerned about kids' posture, you know, their musculoskeletal health. So we're seeing, you know, things, conditions like tech neck and gaming thumb from repetitive stress injuries. Um, there are obviously obvious risks with social and emotional development. So cyberbullying is obviously a really huge risk for kids. 
Um, and I think that often ties into the, the premature introduction of social media. So we're seeing kids at younger and younger ages using you know, online tools like Instagram and Facebook and Musical.ly. Um, and one of the other threats, I think, or one of the ne negative impacts is how our attention spans are, are declining. You know, even as adults, a study was done recently where they asked adults to sit in a room with just four walls and no stimulus whatsoever, no magazines, no phone whatsoever. And they actually had to end the study prematurely because the participants showed signs of distress. They couldn't sit. Um, they were asked to wait for a period of 15 minutes. They couldn't sit for 15 minutes and be bored. Um, and I think that, that speaks volumes. You know, adults find it really hard to sit for sustained periods of time. So in this study, the, the um, researchers went back to the Ethics Committee and said, we'd like to repeat this study, but instead of our participants getting distressed, um, we want to give them the option of administering a small electric shock in lieu of being bored for that 15-minute period. And somehow they got ethics approval and they went back and repeated the second iteration of the study and they found that it, I think it was um, a quarter of women and two-thirds of men elected to give themselves an electric shock rather than be bored for that 15-minute period. Um, so I think our attention spans and our kids' attention spans are, are changing because of this, this digital technology. Wow, of course they are. <laughs> There's so much information in what you just said then um, and so much of it is actually quite shocking. Um, we in our household personally live by the mantra that boredom breeds creativity. I love it when my kids say they're bored. Great, you're bored, <laughs> go away and invent something to do. Come up with something to do because I am not going to entertain you. I'm quite happy to sit down and, you know, read or play a game at any time with my kids but I, I personally believe that boredom breeds creativity so I'm a big fan of it and it does not surprise me to hear about that quite shocking, literally, study that they did and you know, <laughs> seen that in adults also. So, well look, we are, we do have so, so much more to cover. So, you, you touched on it then before and I've heard that as well and having two young boys, I'm really conscious about things like online pornography and yes, when somebody said that to me, you cannot unsee this stuff. Once they've seen it, you cannot unsee. So, it's really important that these young children and, and teenagers don't don't see it and you know well I mean wow preferably ever but you know of course until maybe an appropriate age so talk a little bit about cyber safety and um, you know as parents and carers you know what, what do we need to do what do we need to set up what do we need to know absolutely and I'm often asked when do I start thinking about cyber safety and I say the minute if you elect to hand over your smartphone to your toddler is the minute you start to need to start thinking about this and having conversations with kids. Um, most importantly, we do not want our kids to see technology as something that is taboo. Um, the minute it becomes the forbidden fruit is the minute we start to drive behaviour underground. So really, really important um, that we have ongoing incidental conversations with our kids about cyber safety. We know, um, which is something really interesting and quite sad from working with young kids, is that we know that if kids do have a cyber safety issue, for example, if they've been cyber bullied, if they shared mum or dad's you know, credit card details online with someone, um, if anything that has happened to them online that compromises their safety, children today do not feel confident um, and do not feel prepared to go and speak to a parent or a teacher. And we've probed why and what's really interesting 
is that many kids are afraid that their parents will digitally amputate them, literally, you know, cut off their their um, internet access or restrict their smartphone use if they go to report a cyber safety issue. So it's really, really important that our kids know that um, you know that that parents and teachers are there to help them. That you know we all make mistakes, and I think. Many of us as adults, you know, growing up, we all made mistakes, but our mistakes didn't have digital DNA attached to them. And now, unfortunately, the mistakes our kids are making um, do have, you know, a digital footprint. So we've got to reassure them that, that um, and this is one of the reasons why, this is sort of a, a little aside, why I really strongly discourage parents from using screen time as a reward or punishment tool. Um, if we do that, we lead children down this, this road where they think that their punishment will be digital amputation, which is obviously not what they want. So what do parents need to do? Um, we need to set up parental controls. And I'm a mum and I know that if you were to set up parental controls on all your digital devices, it would take an inordinate amount of time. So um, a product that I use personally and that I recommend is a product called the Family Zone. And the Family Zone lets you um, create rules around what your child can access on all devices. So televisions, gaming consoles, video games, televisions, I said television, sorry, um, iPads, smartphones. And the good thing with the family zone is that whatever restrictions you set up, so you may not want them accessing Facebook at all, or you may not want them playing Minecraft between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., whatever your rules are, those rules travel with that child wherever they go. So a lot of kids think, oh, I'll, I'll get around mum's rules because when I jump on the bus and go to school, I'll just do whatever I like. Or when I go to my friend's house, I'll jump on their Wi-Fi and or go to McDonald's and skirt around that issue. Um, so that that's a really important tool um, that, that parents can use, um, and I can provide a link with that up for you afterwards. But really important, we have ongoing access um, that we keep an active role, you know, one of the worst things we can do is to, to assume that our kids are safe. So, you know, keeping technology in publicly accessible spots in the house, having these ongoing conversations, and really teaching them that technology is just a tool, that it's not toxic, that it's not something taboo, that this is just a tool and we need to find the, the right ways to use it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much... Um there's so much to know and so much to do and an important point that that's right, if you're handing over an iPhone to a toddler, that's the moment that you need to think mm. about cyber safety because, you know, who knows what button they'll press or, you know, whatever might turn up. And, I mean, I guess that leads into what you just touched on then a little bit, encouraging, you know, our children to get on board the skills that they need. What can we do to support them? so they can manage their own online usage. So if you could talk about that just a little bit more, I guess just encouraging them to be responsible when they're online as well as to have those come back and have those conversations with adults if, if something's not going in the right direction. That's right. So I think, again, facilitating those ongoing conversations. Um, talking to your child about, you know, we used to call it online etiquette, but basically it's just etiquette. You know, how what is appropriate to, you know, what is an appropriate way to act online? Um, and obviously that comes back to us being really good role models because we know that our kids are emulating our digital habits. So often many parents are barking, you know, screen orders. Um, that their kids turn off devices while they're standing there tethered to their smartphone as well. 
Um, so I think having those incidental conversations, teaching them, them healthy habits, because whether we love it or loathe it, technology is here to stay. So we need to, as I think parents and, and teachers, is to, to help kids find the best ways to use it. So developing healthy habits, um, you know, especially with things around sleep, you know, what are our family rules or, or what are our guidelines around devices and bedrooms. Um, so really important that we establish what I call tech-free times and tech-free zones. So making sure at home we've got very clear guidelines or expectations about where and when um, kids can use technology can start to empower them to make better choices as well. Absolutely. And we were going to get to that later, but now that you've mentioned it, role modelling such an <laughs> important tool. If um, if you wake up in the morning and attend breakfast with your smartphone in your hand, then you know what message does that send to your children about you know about using screens at, at, at what is essentially a time when they should be eating? Yes. So really um, interesting. I think as parents, because we've been thrown, we are really the first generation of, of parents who are raising screen ages. You know, children who are literally tethered to devices. And why it's really hard for us is we've got no frame of reference because most of us had analogue childhoods and we're being forced to raise kids that have digitalised childhoods. So I think we need to acknowledge that often we're making up these rules and, and these approaches on the fly. You know, unlike every other parenting conundrum, we can't think back to how our parents dealt with it. We can't even ask friends with slightly older children, you know, how did you manage this or how did you deal with this sort of situation? So it's really... Um, really important that we be gentle on ourselves first and foremost and understand in many instances we're doing the best that we can. Um, however, I think for many parents we are literally being consumed by our digital devices and being tethered to our devices um, and that in some instances we are, um, you know, it, it's to the detriment of our kids. Um, I coined the term technoglect to describe this phenomenon, <coughs> excuse me, where parents are literally glued to their digital device um, and missing out on, you know, all the little micro moments with their children, you know, parents that are, and I'm not, and this is not to, you know, make parents feel guilty or ashamed, but, you know, parents that sit there for the entire, I'm not just talking about five minutes or, or a couple of minutes here and there, but for the entire swimming lesson or the dance lesson, um, you know, parents that are so consumed with their digital device that they're missing these vital moments with kids. Um, in my book, I share a really awful story where a parent at a local park, I was, I was there with my little man and, and he was more interested in eating the sand and the, the leaves on the bottom of the climbing frame. Um, so I had lots of time to be what I call the social observer. My husband says I'm a sticky beak. Um, but I was doing some social observation and I watched a four-year-old girl from sorry, fall from the very top of the rope climbing mm. apex to the bottom of the, the softball in the playground because her mum was digitally distracted. Um, you know, I'm the first to say that my phone is a great tool for me as a mum and, and as a person living in this digital world, but if we're not careful, these devices have the potential to rob us as parents of our two most important resources, our time and our attention. So it's about, you know, us coming up with, with parameters and rules around where and when we use devices. You know, can we leave the phone in the glove box in the car and go to the park with our kids? Um, you know, do we need to be taking that phone call when we walk into childcare to pick our kids up? And I know, I'm the first to admit, you know, I'm guilty from time to time of pushing the swing and replying to an email simultaneously. So it's not about saying we need to get this right all the time. 
Um, but it's about, I think, us being really conscious about how tethered to our devices um, we've really become and whether we really need to be um, in that regard. Absolutely. I mean, this concept of techno guilt, uh, I, I see it a lot out there as well. And, you know, I think that we all probably tell ourselves, and it's probably true, that sometimes having a smartphone and doing a bit of um, work, sending a couple of emails while you're sitting on the sidelines at the park is a good use of time because then, you know, you, your attention will be freed up to, you know, spend time with your child or cook dinner or whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, as you say, you saw something sort of, you know, an accident happen that may have been prevented. So. I guess it is very difficult to, you know, walk that line of, of feeling the techno guilt or then maybe for me, I, I am, I'm sort of trying to be like, oh, what can I, what can I do here on the run in between, in between breaths or parks or pickups or whatever to, to try and alleviate some of that work burden later on so that I then can have my attention focused on my children. But, you know, it is a really, there's no guidelines around that, as you say, and we're, we're all new to this particular area. Definitely not, and I and it's really hard, especially with you know expectations of work and you know responding in, in you know a timely fashion. So I think it's something um, we all definitely you know battle with um, and and feel. Um, but yeah, it's it's something I think we've got to navigate um, because our kids are seeing it. You know, a survey by AVG, the technology security company, interviewed 6,000 Australian children, and they found that 32% of children. This was nearly three years ago wish that their parents used their phones less than what they did. Um, uh, at, a, at, a, at an app development camp in the US, so they had a holiday program for um, um, early adolescents and they could go at this app development camp and they could develop any apps that they wanted. You know, this, There was no limit whatsoever. And so we had children who were developing apps that would provide instant McDonald's delivery via smartphone. We had other um, groups that worked on apps that would um, develop revolting, sorry, deliver revolting smells to siblings or friends. And then what was really interesting was that there were six different groups, and the groups didn't know what each of the other teams were working on, but six of the groups at this particular app development camp, kids developed an app that would control their parents' technology use. Um, so I think it's really interesting. Our kids are definitely seeing it um, and, and imitating it in some regards. Well, yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, a, a few more of our participants out there typing in some questions and comments. And, and, and one person said, you know, it's easy to buy some time to let my toddler watch for a few minutes or while feeding her. You know, is this bad? Could she become addicted? I mean, it's all sort of going to, it all rolls into one, really. I mean, you have to say, if you're doing it and they're watching you, if you think it's just a few minutes here, or indeed if you just let them, what what other things are you robbing them or even yourself of? As you say, maybe missing an accident in the park, or maybe just seeing a really brilliant moment of your child um, enjoying themselves immensely playing outside. So perhaps it's this whole concept of technology just robbing not only children but adults of of other, you know, stimulating activities or really great you know, moments that are occurring in life that have been missed out on. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you touched on a really key point. It's just about being intentional. So with that question with the little one, you know, I am understand 
the demands of you know trying to feed one and keep another one entertained, etc. So it's about okay for this period of time. This is how I'm going to use technology because remember we want them to see it as a tool. So you you can you know watch TV for 15 minutes or you can play on the iPad while we do this. But having very clear parameters around those intentions as well, I think, really helps so that we, we're using it for a purpose and for a defined period of time. Um, helps it from becoming that slippery slope sometimes. Absolutely. And I did hear, um, well, we get, we're getting toward the end of our webinar today, but I did hear that you had a really great tip about when you, if, I, I think maybe it's younger children are watching television. I mean, obviously, we're conscious of it, of it if it's late in the day, it affects sleep, it affects other things. So is there, did you have some tips around maybe something they could do after devices or after television to kind of, I don't know, create some space between that time and the next the next activity, which could be dinner or sleep or whatever? Yes, yes. so um, I mentioned before the fifth reason why kids have techno tantrums and it's this idea that their nervous system has basically been overloaded. So if you imagine the online world is like, um, a hose, like a giant firefighting hose, and their nervous system is a bit like a plastic cup. So when we go in the online world, it's like squirting a fire hydrant hose into a plastic cup. So their nervous system is literally just bombarded. You know, there's things to look at, there's sound effects, there's animations. And so this is one of the reasons why we get the techno tantrum, but it's also one of the reasons we think, and we're only in the early stages of trying to prove this, but we think this is one of the reasons why kids find it hard to go from a screen, which many kids do, to the dinner table. Um, so basically, when kids, particularly young kids, you know, up until about five years of age, when kids are still developing eating habits, we know that it's predominantly a sensory activity. So they've got to look at the food, they've got to taste the food, smell the food, touch the food, etc. But if their sensory system and their nervous system has been overloaded by their screen use, then getting them to sit at the table and actually eat is really difficult. So a really, really simple strategy, um, not just for meal times, but any time a child comes off a screen um, to help their brain and body recalibrate is to get them to do something to empty their sensory cup and their nervous system. So basically this means doing you know, something physically active. So in our house, um, and we don't always do it, but if um, they have a bit of TV before dinner time, and before they come and sit at the table, they go and do something physically active. So a couple of days ago on the weekend, they were watching a movie in the afternoon and then we were going to have dinner. So they did, um, I've got two boys, so they did two, um, eight, sorry, eight, eight stair runs, six wall push-ups and five star jumps and they washed their hands and came to the table. It could be as simple as going for a walk around the block. It could be um, if your child's are very tactile, they like touching things, um, giving them something to touch after they've used a screen. Basically anything that um, that activates their sensory system can help to calm them down. So A, you'll be less likely to have the techno tantrum, but B, it really just helps their brains recalibrate. Um, and we actually know that any time, even any time a child uses a screen, that time in nature is the perfect um, solution to help them calm down after they've had that technology time as well. So that's the screen time versus the green time, which I think you yes. briefly mentioned earlier. So, yeah. So, I mean, how do you navigate that? Is that a, is that a sort of good, you know, overall tip for people to consider? Screen versus green. 
Yeah, I think kids, more than ever, I, I actually believe that kids need more green time than, than what they ever have. You know, we've, we're seeing emerging research that's talking about how it can perhaps prevent myopia, which is this nearsightedness. Um, we know that time in nature, so this green time, is really, really important neurologically as well. Um, as I mentioned just then, it, it helps to calm the brain down. So time in nature is a lot more slower paced. It's a lot calmer. Um, but it also allows what neuroscientists call the mind-wandering mode. Um, so when kids are out in nature, they turn off the prefrontal cortex of their brain. That's basically the, the CEO or the air traffic control system of their brain. And instead, they enter this mind-wandering mode. So for us as adults, many of us have entered this mode when we've um, woken up first thing in the morning, when we've had a shower, we've been for a walk, we've been for a run, been for a swim. When we have literally turned off that part of the brain, our concern at the moment is that young kids, because they're not getting this mind-wandering time, you know, where you, you flip from idea to idea or you come up with a really novel solution to a problem or you come up with a, a creative solution, um, our kids aren't getting that mind-wandering mode time. So um, really important time in nature forces them to get that. Um, and again, touching back on what you said earlier, Sally, about this idea that kids need um, literally um, time to be bored. Why boredom is one of the best gifts you can actually give to your kids. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that overall. <laughs> so, And I'm a big advocate of nature connection as well. So I've read Definitely. a little bit about nature deficit disorder, which could be something that we'll be hearing more about, you know, coming in the coming years, but, um, and it's unfortunate, but yes, I think that if it's a really easy, simple mantra, screen time and green time. So obviously you've given us so many practical tips that we can use today and really great to know that although the research is in its infancy, that it is being done and unfortunately many of us out there are children are the guinea pigs for this uh, screen mm. generation, which is unfortunate. So, but, you know, by virtue of the fact that people have tuned in today and they're listening, hopefully they might have made their own notes or they can pick up a copy of your book, Raising Your Child in a Digital World. You've also got a website which has got some great resources on it. So you know, just encouraging people to, look, this is the first step. If you if you care about enough to listen today, then, you, you know, you care enough to sort of put a few things in place to really be active about screens and technology when it comes to your children. And don't just sit back and let it all happen around you just because that's what everybody else is doing. Technology is a part of life today, that's for sure. But um, we can certainly all be active in, in our children's use and, you know, time on technology. So hopefully that's what you've given people today. And thank you so much, Dr. My pleasure. Goodwin, for speaking today. We hope that um, everyone has come away with something that they can use. And of course, we at Parents at Work are always doing webinars like that. We've got regular webinars that run all the time, different topics. So always dealing with the issues that we as working parents are facing. So perhaps you can come along and join us on one of those. We've got a special event coming up, Meditation for Mums and Dads, on Wednesday the 7th of June. So it's nice. We sometimes all need a little bit of time out. But um, thank you very much to everyone for joining us. Thank you again to Dr. Christy Goodwin. And we hope that you have got something that you can use in your life today, that you can go home and activate and perhaps you know enjoy some more quality time with your children. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Parents at Work webinar.